and glory. What a way to start the year on Wednesday night. That's good. Genesis chapter 16. While you're turning there, this is especially for those ladies that may be watching live stream, but we'll announce this again. So tomorrow's regular women's Bible study that was supposed to start up both morning and evening is being canceled for one week and postponed till the next Thursday, the 13th. So ladies, do me a favor. If you know of somebody, maybe that you could even just make sure that they know, you know, text them tonight, call them tonight or whatever, and let them know that the ladies' studies for tomorrow has been postponed. And we will pray all of these ladies to get better real quickly. Genesis chapter 16. What we are seeing here in this chapter is faith wavering. And I hope that will be an encouragement in this sense. We are looking here at the father of the faithful, Abraham, right? And even in the New Testament, he's the father of the faithful. And yet he and Sarai are struggling to believe the promises of God. You and I at times will struggle to believe the promises of God. By the way, God in his word always differentiates. I was thinking of this as Nicole was sharing. God always differentiates in his word between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is struggling to believe, and we all go through that. Unbelief is saying, I won't believe. There's an obstinacy there. There's a hardness of heart there. And I'm praying for anyone who may be watching tonight or even someone may be here tonight that maybe that's where you are. You just won't believe. I'm praying that God would soften your heart and get you to even to the place where you may still doubt, but you're struggling to believe. God can work with that. God was working with that with Abraham in this chapter. It had been 10 years, notice in verse 3, since Abram came into the promised land. 10 years. So it's been 11 years now that Abram has been waiting for God to fulfill his promise. And remember, as of yet, God hasn't told him how he's going to fulfill that promise. So I want you to know that. Abram's been waiting for 11 years for this son, this one who's going to be the inheritor and the one through whom God is going to continue to build this nation that's going to bless the world. And what I want you to see, first of all, in the first two verses, is the sovereignty of God. Because Sarai gets something right in her theology here. And that is that she correctly identifies the fact that it's the Lord, Jehovah, who has prevented her from having children. That's exactly correct. He's the one that is in control. Okay? And most of the time, even as followers of God, we're okay with the sovereignty of God until it conflicts with our desires. (laughs) Then we have a problem with the sovereignty of God. Because we want what we want, and we want it in a certain time. And that's where they began to get impatient and begin to, to scheme and, and manipulate and try to 
sort of go outside of the sovereignty of God, which is never good for any of us as we're going to sit. So notice in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not given birth to any children, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from having children, have sexual relations with my servant. Perhaps I can have a family by her. And Abram did what Sarai told him. Oh, there's a lot here. First of all, let me say something about Hagar. The Bible specifically reminds us she's an Egyptian. Why is that important? It is important because she is an an illustration, if you will, of a problem that Israel always has had. And that is, if you study the Old Testament especially, Israel was always going to Egypt for help rather than the Lord. And here, that started. It's like, instead of looking to the Lord to be the answer, I'm looking to this Egyptian girl to be the answer to our problem that we have with the sovereignty of God because God hasn't come through yet. And I know God could open my womb. So I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing and acknowledging in a right way the sovereignty of God, but it's conflicting with my desires. So I'm going to start scheming and manipulating and trying to go outside of that to bring about what I want in my time. Now, the other thing we see here is her plan. And what I want to point out about that is that that was a socially acceptable practice at that time. She's proposing something that was socially and culturally acceptable. So what's that tell us? That tells us that as followers of God, we don't take our cue from society and from culture. We take our cue from the Lord. He's the one that we look to as we just sung about. And he's the one who leads us and guides us. We don't, we don't take our cue from society. We don't take our cue from what is acceptable to the world. May not always, in fact, most of the time, not be acceptable to God. So that was the other sort of down the road. An Egyptian can help me rather than looking to the Lord. And I'm going to propose something to my husband that's culturally acceptable. We look around. Everybody's doing it. It's the way they worked it back then, right? And then notice the word perhaps in verse 2. That's an important word because that's expressing a hope. She said, perhaps I can have a family by her. Our hope isn't to be in our own wit and wisdom, our own plans. Lean not into your own understanding, the book of Proverbs says. That's not where our hope is. Our hope isn't to be in worldly things or things of the world. Our hope is to be in God alone. And she, at this point, and Abram weren't looking to God to be their hope. They, again, were looking outside of God for some kind of hope. Because in 11 years, God hasn't fulfilled His promise or worked in their timing. And then we have the whole thing about the lack of spiritual leadership that Abram here is providing for his wife and his family. And it's going to have consequences down through history, even to this day. We realize that, right? 
that the Israelites have been battling the descendants of Hagar, the Ishmaelites, even to this day. The unrest in the Middle East and all that can be traced back to Genesis chapter 16. Sin has its consequences, and sometimes sin has greater consequences and ramifications than others. Maybe few had more far-ranging consequences and ramifications than this decision. And it shows us that even the father of the faith, Abraham, wasn't always who he should have been. You see. And that's why I go back to what I said even before worship. It is a great reminder to us that God wasn't loving Abram and Sarai because they were this wonderful couple that did everything right. His love for them wasn't based on their performance because at this point they weren't performing very good, were they? But again, that should be an encouragement to us because God's love for us is constant. It's unconditional. It has nothing to do with our performance. And we certainly see that here. In fact, now we come into verse 3 and from verse 3 through verse 6. We see God's sovereignty being magnified here. But I also want you to see that God's grace is magnified in this chapter, especially in these verses, because His grace is in contrast to the sinfulness of His people. Everybody here in this thing that's going on, this situation, is behaving badly, but God. God is the only one that looks good in this whole chapter. Everybody else is treating everybody else terribly. And yet again, He still loves them, just like He loves us when we behave badly, you see. Notice how badly things were getting. So after Abram had lived in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, Abram's wife, gave Hagar, her Egyptian servant, to her husband to be his wife. He had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. And once Hagar realized that she was pregnant, she despised Sarai. Not good. Not behaving well. Then Sarai said to Abram, you brought this wrong on me. Wait a minute. Whose idea was this? Sarai, I don't think this was Abram's idea. Yeah, he gave into it. He was wrong. He capitulated. He should have told Sarai, his wife, no, we don't do it. We don't work that way. That's the way the world works. That's not the way the people of God work. And God gave me a promise and we need to keep trust. No, he didn't do it either. So he was not the leader he should be. But Sarai also was now not taking responsibility for her part in this either. She was trying to shove the responsibility off to her husband, you've, you've done this. I allowed my servant to have sexual relations with you, but when she realized that she was pregnant, she despised me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Oh, and he will. <laughs> he will. Then notice Abram's calloused response back to Sarai. He says, well, since your servant is under your authority, do to her whatever you think best. What? If this girl is pregnant by Abram, then this girl and her child is Abram's responsibility. He is shirking his responsibility. And he's just basically throwing her out into the cold. He knows what's going to happen to this young Egyptian girl. 
I mean, we know in our society, thousands of years later, how hard it is for a single mom. Do you know what would have happened to this young lady as a single mom in that society, how she would have had to get along? I'll tell you how. She would have had to sell her body. That would have probably been the only way she could have survived at that point. How callous of Abram to just say, back to Sarah, well, do with her whatever you want to do. No, Abram should have taken responsibility also for his actions in this. Both of them now have sort of absolved themselves of the responsibility that they have in this mess. And how did they get into this mess? By not trusting in God and not waiting on God. All their scheming, all their manipulation, all their trying to go around the sovereignty of God only brought more pain into their lives. Oh, that we would learn the lesson of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. And then notice Sarai. She treated Hagar harshly. The word in the Hebrew literally means abusively. She abused her servant girl, Hagar. And you know one of the real tragedies of this whole thing? Remember back at the beginning of our study of Abram, what God told Abram? He said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a what? A blessing. Is Abram and Sarai being a blessing to this poor Egyptian girl? Nope. Not at all. And it reminds us at times that as even as the followers of God, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. And sometimes we're not a blessing to others. Sometimes we cause them pain and we hurt them. And we become then a poor reflection of our God to those, especially who don't know our God. And as of yet, I don't think Hagar, the Egyptian, knows Jehovah yet in a personal way. But Jehovah is going to remedy that. God is going to remedy that. Because in the next verse, I believe the Lord himself comes to Hagar. And as I said Sunday even, I believe that this is another appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. You say, well, it says in verse 7, the Lord's angel. Yes, but later on, you'll notice that Hagar addresses this angel as God. It is clear from the text that this isn't just an angel. By the way, Genesis 16, 7 is the first time the word angel is mentioned in the Bible. And notice, in God coming to Hagar, one of the things I believe that God is doing is saying, I know my people treated you terrible. They were a terrible reflection of me. So I'm going to come and remedy that because I want you to see me in a different light than what my people are showing you. I'm not that kind of God. I don't view you and treat you the way you've been treated, even by my own people. So notice what the Lord does first. It says the Lord's angel found Hagar. That means he sought her out. He pursued her. 
He ran after her. It sort of reminds me of what Jesus said in the New Testament about the hundred sheep. I can have 99, but if one leaves the fold, I'm going after the one. Guess what? The Lord was going after Hagar, and Hagar wasn't even one of his own yet. And here's another thing. As far as history goes and all of that, Hagar was insignificant. She was just this Egyptian slave girl. Who was Hagar? Yet as Nicole reminded us, the Lord knew her by name, just as he knows every one of us by name. He knows every detail of our life. And God always seeks us out. God pursues people. God initiates. He doesn't wait for us to come to Him. He comes to us. We love Him, John says, because He first loved us. I'm so thankful because if God would have waited on Jeff Royce, I'd have died and went without God into eternity. Because as Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 3, there is none who seeks after God. Not one. It's God who seeks after us. And I thank him for that. Even back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, we learn that even after Adam and Eve fell in the garden and sin entered the world, what was God doing? He was pursuing them in the garden because they were hiding from him. Can't hide from God. God loves you so much he won't let you hide. So he seeks her out. And notice where he seeks her out. Near a spring of water in the desert. <clears throat> the oasis. God found Hagar at the oasis. But notice, the spring that is along the road to Shur, the word Shur means the wall. Why is it called that? This was one of the most desolate, foreboding places in the Middle East. If you saw pictures of this place, it, it was just barren, rock. There was nothing there except this oasis, if you will. And so it also reminds us there's no place you and I can go on this earth that God can't find us. God found Hagar, this, this slave girl from Egypt. He cared about her enough, especially because his own people was not being a reflection of his love to her so he comes and he wants to show her, I love you. And don't think of me in the way that my people are treating you. I'm not that kind of God. I'm a God who will come to you, Hagar, in your need. This is a, a, a passage that reminds us that God cares for those who are helpless and defenseless. That was Hagar. She had no one to take up for her. No one to support her. She was kicked out of the only family that she had at that point. And it was her on the backside of a desert with a baby about to be born. How scary would that have been? And here we see that God cares for the outcast. The one that no one else wants. Sometimes maybe we feel like an outcast. Different from everybody else. Nobody sees me. Nobody hears me. Nobody pays attention to me. God does. God does. And he said in verse 8, Hagar, 
servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? He knew. But he wanted to engage her in conversation. He wanted to begin to have a conversation with this gal. Because that's how you get to know anybody. And he, God, wanted her, Hagar, to get to know him and know his heart for her especially. She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. And we can understand why. She was being abused. Can't really blame Hagar for it, but we also learned that running away from our problems is not the answer ever. We've got to face those things. And that's exactly what God challenged her and encouraged her to do. Notice the Lord's angel then said to her, verse 9, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. I will greatly multiply your descendants, the Lord's angel added, so that they will be too numerous to count. Then the Lord's angel said to her, you are now pregnant and are about to give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your painful groan. Notice that God in verse 9 and 10 points her eyes to the future and to his promises and not to the wrongs which have been done to her. God is saying, I'm not dismissing or discounting the wrongs that my people have done to you. They have abused you. They have used you. They have, I'm not, I'm not excusing that at all, but God is trying to get her to see, I can't have you dwell there. You and I cannot navigate life successfully if we just dwell and focus always on the wrongs that are done to us. God wants to refocus our thinking upon Him and upon our future with Him and upon His promises to us. That's true for all of us because all of us have been hurt at times in our life. Maybe severely like Hagar. And we could just sit there and sort of sort of drown in our own self-pity, if you will. But God won't let that happen. God says, yeah, you've been treated terribly, but I need you to move on from that. I can't let you let that define you. I have a greater plan and purpose, and I want you to follow me, and I'm going to point you to your future with me and to the promises that I want to give to you. And notice God says, I want you to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. God hears. God not only seeks us out, but God hears us. He heard Hagar on the backside of the desert in the most desolate, barren, foreboding place imaginable. God heard her from there. And God will hear us no matter where we're crying to him from. God even hears the cries of our hearts that we can't even utter or articulate or express. God hears it all. God hears the silence, if you will. But God hears it. And I want you to know tonight, God hears you. He hears your heart. He hears your mind. He hears your thoughts. But He also hears your words. In fact, the name Ishmael is made up of two words. The word Shama in Hebrew, which means to hear or listen, and the word for God, El. Ishmael. God hears. Don't ever forget that. 
The Lord hears your painful groans. Not even words, but groans. What a God. Again, we've seen the sovereignty of God. We've seen the grace of God. We're seeing the love and compassion and care of God for even this one dear Egyptian slave girl. If God took this much time for her, do you not think God takes that much time and wants to take that much time and has taken that much time for you? He does. He wants to. But we just need to receive that love and trust in that love and believe that God loves us that much. Now, he does tell her, verse 12, he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. No one's ever going to tame Ishmael. He's going to be hostile to everyone. And everyone then's going to be hostile to him. He's going to be looking for a fight and picking fights and getting into fights all his life. And pretty much his descendants have been the same. In fact, he will live away from his brothers. So notice verse 13. Hagar named the Lord Jehovah who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. And by the way, the word seeing in Hebrew is synonymous with caring. Hagar is not only saying, God, you see me. God, you care about me. And she is just blown away. In fact, the force of what Hagar is saying cannot be fully expressed in the English language. That next phrase, for she said, here, I have seen one who sees me. In the Hebrew, it's like, I can't believe that I'm still alive because I've seen God. That's basically what she's saying. And I can't believe that God, who now I've seen, cares about little old me, is basically what she She, she just... And can I tell you... <laughs> Because of this encounter, Hagar will never be the same again. When you and I let the Lord in and we tear down the walls around our heart and we let God begin to come into our heart and our mind and transform us, we will never be the same again. And that's why God literally came to her and manifested Himself to her. I want you to know tonight, again, God will seek you out. He sees you every day. You're never invisible to God. God hears you every day, even the groans and even the things that you and I don't articulate. There's nothing that God doesn't hear. Every prayer, everything, God hears. Trust Him. And then verse 14, that is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is located between Kadesh and Barrett. Notice a tremendous contrast here, too. God found her at Shur, the wall, and the wall became the well. And I want to remind all of us of something else here. It's really cool. I want you to go with me ahead in time from this point in history to a couple thousand years later. The Lord Jesus is meeting another woman at the well. 
the woman of Samaria, who also has an encounter with Jesus in John chapter 4. And guess what? She's never the same ever again. She even goes to her townsfolk and says, He saw me. He heard me. He knows everything about me. In fact, I'll say this. One of the cool things in the Bible is that every time you see a young woman at a well, she finds her beloved at the well. She finds the one who loves her the most at the well. Even if that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. Rebecca found her beloved at the well. Zipporah found Moses at the well. Hagar found her beloved, Jesus, at this well. The woman of Samaria found her beloved, the one who loved her the most, at the well. But then I want you to notice verse 15 and 16. Hagar gave, gave birth to Abram's son, so she went back, listened to what the Lord had to say, whom Abram named Ishmael. Abram's now finally on board, right? Because he's listening to God. And I think he's listening to God now, humbly, to the Egyptian servant girl. Because where did he hear what the boy's name should be called? Through Hagar. And maybe God came to him as well. Can't discount that, but that's not in the text. And why I want to point that out is because, remember, back in verse 1 and 2, Abram wasn't listening to God. Abram was listening to the voice of his wife and maybe even to the voices of those around him in his culture and his society. And that got him in big trouble, caused a lot of problems. Who are we listening to? Well, we should always, most importantly, be listening to God above everyone and everything else. Are we listening to the voice of of God. Otherwise, we're going to get ourselves into all kinds of messes and cause ourselves all kinds of pain. Notice, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Why does the text point that out? Because if you know the story of Abram, you know how old was Abraham when Isaac finally came along? He was 100. So Abram had to wait 14 more years after this. Why? Because God still wants to do something in Abram's life. Because again, as we said Sunday, God's never in a hurry. He's very deliberate in the way he works with his people, including us. We're always in a hurry. God is never in a hurry. So God still calls Abram to wait. And yet at the end of chapter 16, guess what? Abram is right back where he started from with no further pro progress on enjoying the fulfillment of the promise God gave him. Why? Because he went outside of the sovereignty of God. He stopped trusting God. And so I want to share one last principle with you tonight that I think is really important. And that is that God not only calls us to trust in His promises, but the only way you and I or anyone else, including Abram and Sarai, obtain 
the promises of God. It's by the means that God wants us to obtain them. That's so important. God not only wants us to trust in His promises, but to trust in the way God wants to bring those promises about or into our life. See, God was removing all natural way for this to come about. God was basically getting them both to the point where only a miracle could bring about the birth. Only an act of God. Only something supernatural. And God still wants us to live that way as well. God wants us to realize there's only one way you and I obtain the promises of God. And you know what that way is? By faith. The only way you and I obtain the promise. That, that's why Christians could say, I believe God, I believe in your promises, but do you believe in them in the way He wants to bring them into your life? Or are you trying to sort of do what Abram and Sarai did, trying to come up with another way and a faster way to bring them in. God says it won't work. It's just going to delay them. It's just going to push off the fulfillment of them because I want to bring them to you. But I want to bring them to you my way. You see. And they weren't there yet. And that's why God needed to work with them a little bit longer before they would finally get to the place and say, okay, God, we surrender. We not only believe that you can do it, God, but however you're going to do it, you do it. Even if you want to just drop a baby out of the sky. That, if that's what you want to do, God, we're in. We'll just look to you. Which brings us back to that time of worship and that song, God, I look to you. That, what a great way to end our time of worship tonight. As Nicole was speaking and, and praying, I, I just thought, that's the way I want to end tonight. It's just coming back to reminding all of us, let's continue to look to the Lord. Let's continue to trust Him. And maybe here tonight, and maybe some of you who are watching tonight, there's something right now in your life that you're trusting God for. Maybe it's trusting God in a certain situation or trusting God to work in a certain person's life or circumstance or whatever. We're all probably trusting God for something. And maybe God right now is saying, I'm going to do it, but I need you to wait. And, and I need you to trust it. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to bring it to you, but I'm going to do it in the way I want to do it. Will you trust me to do it and do it my way. And so for any of us that are there right now and, and, and tonight that maybe just need that encouragement, I'm just going to close this in prayer tonight and just pray for all of us. That as Nicole encouraged us at the end of worship, I want to encourage us as well. Let's just continue to trust in the Lord. And, and maybe you're doubting. That's okay. God can work with that. Maybe you're struggling right now to believe and to trust. That's okay. That's much better than unbelief. It says, I won't believe no matter what. So would you stand with me? And we're going to close in prayer.
Father, you know each of our hearts. As we even see in the text tonight, you you even know the groanings of our hearts. You know what we cannot or haven't yet expressed or articulated even to you. You see us, God. You hear us. You care about us. You seek us out. You love us more than we could ever imagine. The greatest love we will ever know is the love of God. And God, we just want to affirm and acknowledge you love us tonight. Unlike anything or anyone else will ever know. We'll never know a love like yours. And yet, God, you call on your people to trust you. And God, it's hard sometimes. It's hard to wait. We don't like to wait, God, for you to fulfill your promises. But God, you ask your people to do that continually. And so I want to pray for all of us tonight that whatever, Lord, we may be struggling with tonight to trust you in or to bring it about, but to bring it about your way, or maybe it's a timing thing that we're just losing our patience, that God, you just strengthen us to trust you more, that you would strengthen our faith in you, God, and that we would realize through this story tonight that it never works. It never works when we try to take matters into our own hands and bring stuff about. That it only works whenever we look to you alone and you are the one that brings it into our life or brings it about. Then it works. Then it's good. Then it's a blessing. And so God, I pray tonight that we would just be so glad we came out to church tonight or so glad we tuned in over live stream tonight. Because, Lord, I believe that you met with your people tonight in a special way. And I thank you for that. Thank you for seeking us out tonight. Thank you as you run the whole universe that you had time for us in Gilbert, Arizona. That you heard us tonight. That you saw us tonight. That you love us tonight. That you care about us tonight. You are the God who sees us, God, each and every moment of our lives. And I pray, God, that we will carry that And that that will give us strength and confidence, Lord, through the rest of this week and this month and this year, God. That we are never out of your care, never out of your love, never out of your sight. And so, Lord, thank you for meeting with us tonight. Take us home tonight, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, hope you'll come back on Sunday. Sunday's going to be a breakthrough Sunday. You come. You invite somebody to come. Nicole's going to even uh, have a new song for us to sing, and I'm excited about it. So you come with anticipation and expectation for Sunday. Amen? Amen. Thanks for being here.